Hello, and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carvel and I'm Al Hunt. Thank you for joining us. This week, this week, I want you to listen carefully. We are joined by legendary actress and activist Jane Fonda. And remember, we take your questions each episode, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get as many as we can, and don't forget to tell us where you're from. The episode is sponsored today by Gainful and IP Vanish. Check out the links to our sponsors in the show notes. And we thank you for supporting our sponsors. It really helps to make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, James, a lot to talk about. Let's get the ugly over first. Trump acquitted by the Senate, but not by history. He's dropping in the polls. He's off Twitter. He's down like a caged animal in in Mar-a-Lago. However, however, much of the Republican Party is still a Trump party. Those 17 Republicans who voted to impeach or convict him, most of them have been censured by their own state or local party, including in Louisiana. And the grassroots of the Republican Party are Trumpites. The majority of House Republicans are Trumpites some senators and governors like Ron DeSantis. So, he, you know, we agree, he's a blowhard, he's a bully, thank God he's gone, and his influence is certainly waning in the country, but not in the party. He still scares a lot of these Republicans, including at least half of those 43 Senate Republicans who voted to acquit him last week. So, um, you know, he's a, he, he won't go away quite yet. Yeah, but he's diminished. Okay, they went from one vote to seven. All right, they had 11 in the House, they had none before. I mean, mm-hmm. you're right, it, the, the reaction has not been consummate what we think, and it, most or any, any sensible person would think is consummate to the offenses. But the idea that they have just skated through this without consequence, is, it just doesn't hold up. They've had some consequence, not nearly enough. I, I mean, the Mitch McConnell statement was really, really put them in a bad place. So on on the whole, it, it, it they they got away with a with a I think a lighter sentence than deserved, but they didn't get away scot free. Yeah, I agree. I I think his influence in the country among independent minded voters, even some Democrats, few who had a soft spot, is gone. Uh, and I think he's peeled off some. Some Republicans have peeled off too, but he is a hateful demagogue who can oh. rouse that base. And um, he he still scares a lot of those Republicans. Those Republicans. It's outrageous. His, I mean, Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, James, can you believe said this really wasn't an armed assault? Now, Ron Johnson, I don't think has an IQ of room temperature, but not to call it an armed assault. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid he probably does. And you know, you'll read the story about the, the party chair and Fond du Lac. Uh, Wisconsin that they ran out of party because he said Biden won the election. Look, I, I think Ron Johnson is smart enough to read where his party is, and yep. particularly in Wisconsin, unfortunately, that's where they are. And it's a, it's, it, and I can't. I, whilst I agree with the, you know the view that they don't suffer nearly enough for for the horror that they, I mean, and I mean abject horror that they brought in this country, they're they're not they're suffering some. There's some penalty here, and I think that the best strategy is to just keep it coming. Yeah, keep keep it coming, and I think this this you know one six commission is is a good idea, and that's that's going to keep this story alive for a long time to come. Well, I'm certainly all for a commission. Uh, I would worry about, it has to be bipartisan, obviously. There are lots of Republicans who would be very good on that commission, and Mitch Daniels, a Fran Townsend, and Tom Ridge. But I'm afraid that's not the kind of people that, uh, that a McCarthy or a, uh, a, uh, a McConnell will, will appoint. And I, and I, I hope it could have the, the decorum and the uh, seriousness of purpose of the 9-11 Commission. Uh, that'll be a challenge, but it certainly has to be done. Um, so a friend of mine came up with this idea, which I think is, is worthy, is the chairman of the co-chairman should be Senator Doug Jones. I think he'd be perfect for that. I think he'd be great but for that. This is an idea. Just, just you know, an idea to throw out there. I mean, the only, Everybody's the only, coming. the only thing that might interfere with that is he ought to get a top level job with this administration too. So, He's, you know, he should. But I think this would be a a a role that would be very public and very consummate with his 
experience and skill set. As we saw last week when he was on the show, by the way, I'm happy to announce that the concurrence of the producers of the show and you, our co-host at Senator Jones, is now officially our, our uh, relief pitcher. So if we ever have to take time off, he'll pinch hit for one of the two of us, which is something he's very excited about. And I, I shared at you and, and I are all very excited about that prospect also. James, there are going to be listeners out there who hope we get bombed in the first inning. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm worried about that a little bit. <laughs> right. So no, he is, he we're is, big Doug Jones people, but I think he would be a, a, a That'd be a, many places he can serve his country. That would certainly be one. I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, there is a, uh, I forget his name now. He's a top producer at 60 Minutes who's got a book coming out saying that Steve Bannon uh, tried to persuade people that Trump had dementia. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't think that's crazy. I'm not sure it's true, but I think there was certainly slippage that one could see. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's hatefulness, but it could, you know, sometimes hateful people get dementia. So I can't, I can't, I can't exclude it. Right. Well, right. If he has but, it, he was hateful before he had it. Right. It didn't. I, I don't see any great personality change in him. No. I, I mean, he was came in. You know, all of his life, he's been a massive asshole, and he yeah. still is. You know, there's a great irony here. You know, uh, you not know. irony, but if you're a Democrat, you know, you hate him, you want him to disappear from the scene, but, but. You really privately don't mind what he's doing to the Republican Party, particularly in no, places you where, you, where you're going to run no, against you him. And if you're a never-Trumper, James, as I think maybe the most pressing of that group, Bill Crystal, put it, you really are hoping for a reasonably successful Biden presidency. Because if it should be a failure, uh, it, 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 it threatens to bring back that whole Trump-hate uh, uh, division uh, that dominates the Republican Party. You know, we don't know the size of this massive bet that Biden is making. But Biden is making a bet <clears throat> that in a time where we're running pretty high deficits, that we're going to ramp it up to levels that we have never seen before. Right. And that this will not produce inflation and this will produce stronger and equitable economic growth that these that this relief, don't call it stimulus, is, is we're constantly told, which is true. In this relief, and if this works, the, the the payoff is going to be huge. However, I would caution people: if it doesn't work, if it produces, you know, nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty, all over again, the the consequences are going to be just awful for the country and the world. So yeah. we, everybody, has a, and this is an experiment, right? We haven't done anything like this before, and I'm all, I mean, I'm for it. I, I, you know, the Jerome Powell is for it. Janet Yellen's for it. You know, some you know some people are that, that are, are, are cautious, but I don't know if this bet don't work. But for the future of the world and the country, I hope it does. Well, I think it's a bet <laughs> though that's worth taking, and you agree, James, because the alternative is to have more <laughs> sluggishness and more COVID and more. Oh, you know, and that 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 is more more crime, more right. you know, abuse. kids unadjusted, un more more spouse abuse, right. more you can't imagine what's happening. No. Pain is happening to people in this country, starvation, you know. People, food insecurity. Look at what's going on in 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 Texas now, yeah. which was inevitable to happen. So no, that humanity has a big bet on this plan, and I'm on humanity's side of the bet. Yeah, sometimes yep. humanity doesn't win. No, but let's uh, let's hope for it this time. I think they got a better than fifty fifty shot, but uh, but it is a gamble. Hey, let's talk a little bit about Joe Biden. Uh, I caught most of his town. Hall the other night. There was a little family emergency, so I had to, was interrupting for a while. Right. But I came back and saw a lot. I thought he was very good. He's not He's not inspiring in the sense of a Kennedy or of a Roosevelt, because that's not who he is. But he was great at that town hall. And it was for a simple reason, I think, James. He's authentic. He is really authentic. And I think a lot of people, the partisan divide notwithstanding, are looking for someone who's real. And I thought that was true, whether it was the empathy of that with that little girl. And I'll tell you what really impressed me. When this questioner got up and said, we're in terrible, we have a lot of student debt. Would you please get behind forgiving $50,000 of student debt for everybody? And he said, no. He leveled with her. And he said, we got to do something about you know student debt reform, but our priorities ought to be on free community college, childhood education. 
It was an honest answer. It was the correct answer. Uh, and it really, I thought, showed what a, what a you know, really good president that he can be. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of times we always go, and I, I don't think be anything else, but but the one thing, and I, I give Biden 80% of the credit for this, obviously, but but 18% has to come from his advisors. And what, what they have concluded, and Joe Biden has concluded, is the only thing that he can do is, well, be Joe Biden. Right. Which is that, that you, you know, everybody wants to be an interventionist. Everybody wants to come into a great idea. Everybody says, this is how we can pivot. This is, you know, now we've established this. We can go to that. And they go, no. And so what you see there is the same guy that, that you meet on the Metro liner, you know, when you're going from Washington to Philadelphia that, you know, tears your ear off, they get to Wilmington. Or it's the same guy that you covered in 19, you know, 88 in Iowa. It's the same guy you covered in the Senate in in, in the late 70s. I mean, it, it, that's the, the thing that, that the brilliant thing about him and his people is they're not brilliant. And that's exactly what is brilliant. Right. It's, it, you know, it's a Usarian in Catch-22. They, they were brilliant because they were not brilliant. Yeah, it, it's who he is. I'll tell you one quick story, which you will appreciate. Our, our late dear friend, Tim Russert, was supposed to give the commencement speech at Wake Forest in 2009, and he tragically died. And uh, I asked then Vice President Biden if he would do it, and he did it. And he went down. I've been to a lot of commencement speeches, James, and a lot of times you know, speakers you know, cite Cardinal Newman, and they talk about famous people they've met or whatever mm -hmm. have you, words of wisdom, what life is going to be like. Joe Biden just kind of said, hey, let me tell you what. I've been in your shoes. Let me tell you what it's like. And those students loved it. They loved him. And they loved him not, again, because there was any great memorable, lofty rhetoric. It was because he's the real deal. He's him. He's himself. And I think that's going to carry him a long way. I, I hope it does because I don't, think he can, I don't think he can play anybody else, nor do I want him to. And I, 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 I wish him his success is the, the, not just the country's success, it's the world's success. Yeah. Because if this thing blows up in, in our faces, the, the consequences of it are going to be Utterly unimaginable. Can I Utterly offer just one warning, one red flag, if you will, I'm a little worried about, and that is uh, going back to school, particularly elementary schools. There have been mixed signals that have come a little bit from this administration, from CDC. The Republicans are making, uh, I think, a largely false charge that this is all pandering to the teachers' union. Um, I wish they could be absolutely clear that elementary schools in the next, I know, week or so, uh, will open, uh, you know, wherever possible, almost everywhere, and we'll have a crash program to get those teachers vaccinated. You know, a little bit different for high school students, but we got to get those younger kids back in school, James. So, so let me just give you, a, 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 and I know it, it doesn't work, it's one piece of anecdotal evidence, but as you know, we have a place, Marin have a place in the Shenandoah Valley. Right. And the lady that helps us keep it up is... In, her last year is a teaching of Virginia public schools. I think she's in Winchester City that she teaches, all right? She it, it takes care of her dad, who's a retired Virginia State trooper in his mid-80s, all right? So in order, obviously, she's got to complete the last year because, you know, she wants a retirement to best and she's a teacher and everything else. You know, that's a hard call. Uh, in, in, in compound that times, I don't know how many times, and, and, you know, she probably has some comorbidities, but she's on her last year, takes care of an elderly parent, a retired state trooper, and, you know, they do some in-room teaching. Now, I understand about the, the consequences of the children of this are, are just awful. And, and it also, like everything else, the consequences of rich and affluent children is significantly less than it is for poor children. But... I'm saying behind this debate is real human choices that people are making, and we should never forget that. Well, we shouldn't, and you ought to make exceptions everywhere. But, you know, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics and others have said, even for kids who are well off, you know, particularly younger kids, this is a real problem. And there ought to be some way to do a, uh, uh, some channeling, some more of the vaccine priority to people who are elementary school teachers. Right. I do think it's different for high schools. 
Yeah, I, I, I do too. But I, I just, you know, when I, I see these, like, people have a restaurant or a bar, and they're trying to open it, they know what to do. All right, you, you, first of all, you say, well, you, there's, everybody has a point. Everybody, almost everybody in this argument has a point. The most extreme public health people have a point. The people that say we can't live like this anymore have a point. The people that say that we got to go back to in-person learning right away have a point. The people that say we can't do it yet, this you have a point. Suppose it was just one of these times where everybody was kind of right and you were just trying to pick the most kind of right decision you had at any given right. time. You got to make a choice. And the, yeah, it, and, the, and the choice is a 5149 thing, mm. all right? Is it worth exposing, you know, Patty and her dad to the consequences of, you know, children being, you know, locked up and not having it? I don't know. I don't know the answer. I, I wish I was wise enough to know it. But I, I, I agree with everybody. And that's the problem here is I don't know who I agree with more than the other side. Yeah. But it's just not. I mean, the anti-mask people are jackasses. All right, that that's beyond stupid. But but other than the, the kind of easy stuff that we deal with, it's 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 really hard when you get to the granular level because you're really making just gut wrenching choices. I, I, they're they're terrible and choices. Then, but you know, we I, I I think not only for for society's reasons and and educational and cultural reasons and the fact that so many of these kids, more than we ever will realize, are really suffering at home, not just being denied education. We got to get those young kids back. Maybe we go and if a school has, you know, one teacher for every 25 students, you know, we exempt the patties, we keep paying them, and it's one student for 35, uh, one teacher for 35 students. They're, yeah, they're, maybe, you, you know, but you, you know, you, you, yeah, and you have to have the cutoff. Okay, so yeah. if you're one year away from Retirement. Okay, we can do that. What about if you're five? What about? Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't know. I'm being, I'm being, but it, public policy is just so inherently difficult. Hmm. All right, and different and, states will do it different ways, and that'll and, create and other do inequities. It different ways. And, and and I will get you know, and we'll fume at some states and praise other states, and really, I don't. It's just I don't know what I'd do differently. It's just very difficult. I just hope these vaccines, you know continue to work and continue to get out there. That's, yeah. that's all I can say. Because there's no, there's no good answers to any of this at yeah. all. Yeah. None. Yeah. I do too. Hey, James Carver, you know, we've had terrific guests, really smart with great accomplishment. Our guest today is at the very top tier with extraordinary achievements, every possible recognition in the entertainment field, a philanthropist, a political activist. We are two old guys in all. I don't know if you call us groupies of the incomparable Jane Fonda. Wow, Jane, thanks for joining us. What a what an intro. I'm kind of in awe of both of you too, Al. I've known you for a long, long time because you were you were often in Atlanta, right? Where I was married yes. to Ted Turner and CNN and Judy was CNN and all good. And James, I have never met in person, and I'm terrified to be interviewed by him. Oh, well. <laughs> just remember, I'm more terrified than you are, so we're just two terrified people here. <laughs> you are missed on mainstream media, James. Uh, I'll, I'll be a little bit tonight. Hey, James, we're going to make a deal, <laughs> and that is that you are so deeply involved in policy and political issues, we really want to talk to you about all those, and we're going to. But afterwards, then, just let two stargazers talk to you a little bit about your career. Okay, whatever. Sure. I'm deal? All right, great. You were, you were ecstatic that Biden-Harris were elected, as were so many of us. And I remember you wrote back then in your blog that, that, that good, the appointments really mattered. You didn't want to see a bunch of old white Wall Street guys or K Street lobbyists. After a month of Biden-Harris, how do you feel now? I feel really good. I feel good. He is our first climate president. Who would have thought Joe Biden would be our first real climate president? I think he learned very important lessons from the Obama years that especially now it's true, you know, compromise. If you wait around for the other side that is so nuts now, you won't get anything done. So he is being Rooseveltian. 
He is stepping forward with the big, bold actions that are exactly what's needed now. And I'm just, I'm just thrilled. I'm a little concerned about Deb Haaland. I'm, it is so important and so critical and so celebratory that Deb Haaland has been nominated for Secretary of Interior. I'm told that there's some opposition building in. I just want to shout out anything anybody that's listening can do to write your call your elected official to ask them to support this first indigenous woman first indigenous person, much less woman, to be a cabinet member, someone who really will know how to take care of our interior and our lands. I'm just thrilled. Okay, listeners, you've heard all that. Uh, Jane, your, your passion is the climate. They've rejoined the Paris Treaty. They've issued some new regulations, giving you a sense of where they want to go. That really is, I mean, you're happy with all that. Is there anything more you want to see them do or anything you're worried about? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm 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 glad that he has a way to get some of the really big things that he's doing through budget reconciliation. He can do it twice this year um, and not have to worry about the Republicans. But um, the things that, you know, that can't go through that way, um, I'm, I'm you know, I'm worried about some of the um, the weaker Democrats who don't understand what's at stake. I mean, this. Those of us who are within voting age, who are alive now, the future of civilization is in our hands. And we have to step up and take responsibility for this, which means we have to fight with everything we have for phasing out of fossil fuels. Biden, he, he did, he, 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 he spoke out against and, and put stop the Keystone XL pipeline. But you know what he didn't do yet? What? I don't think. He didn't at the same time say, and all the workers who have jobs working on the Keystone XL, we're going to take care of you. We're going to make sure that before you lose your fossil fuel jobs, that you are paid and trained to move into new jobs where, you know, local, where you live, where you want to work in the industry you want to work in. You should not suffer because we have to phase out fossil fuels. Why didn't Biden do that? Well, a big, you're right. A big infrastructure bill would do that. Yes. And now he has line three, the Enbridge line three, that's like Keystone XL. It's bringing that horrible Canadian tar sands oil that's heavy. It sinks to the bottom of water and it can't be cleaned. They're putting pipelines. They want to put them under the, the headwaters of the Mississippi River, you know, under Lake Superior. This is a catastrophe. They're doing it right now. The militarized police are up there in northern Minnesota. We have to stop that. And we have to push the Thrive Agenda. We have to make sure that that passes both through budget reconciliation and then on the floor okay, of James the Senate. Okay, James Carville. So uh, when I look at, at, at your life, I mean, there are two things that, that obviously stick out. Is one, you're you know, a huge in, in entertainment, but you're a huge activist. And I want to talk to you a little bit about activism. Yeah. And there are millions, tens of millions of young people around this country that really want to be involved and they want to be activists. Over your life, what can you look back and tell somebody like my daughter, who's 25, who, who's itching to be part of political activism, but, but other friends or people just all around this country of every stripe? What, what, what counsel would you give them having led this remarkable life of political activism and being on the front lines? I think the first thing that it's important for people to know is that individually we can do very little. I mean, you know, in 2019, I had moved to drive an electric car, gotten rid of single-use plastics, almost have eliminated meat from my diet, all, all the things that individuals can do. But that's the on-ramp. That's the starting place, not the ending place, because this is a collective crisis that requires a collective solution. Even if all of us did all the right things, we can't scale it up fast enough for it to matter. We have to listen to what the scientists are saying. So for young people, I would say join an organization. Make sure it doesn't have all white men on the board of directors. Make sure that it's an organization brave enough to stand up to fossil fuels and 
work with an organization, Sunrise, Extinction Rebellion, Fridays for Future. There are so many wonderful organizations for younger people. And there's Fire Grill Fridays. You can follow us. You check out on Friday, every Friday at 11 o'clock Pacific time, 2 o'clock East Coast time. We come on and I use my celebrity to bring on frontline people who really know because they're living the current climate crisis in the United States. Well, I have actually people who join us from Australia and Africa and all over the place. It's kind of great. Do you know that we had 9 million people following us in 2020 across all platforms? And we've had over 400,000 people so far in 2020. What is this? 21? I can't believe I was born in 1937. Yeah. Wow. I was born at the tail end of the original New Deal. It's I don't so believe it either. <laughs> because you, you really can see what's happening. So I have, I, I teach a course at LSU. Of course, we're at ground zero of climate. So, and, well, and I just LSU? don't allow climate denialism or skepticism. In Baton Rouge. Oh my God, it's you're in Louisiana. Southern, you're in the it's Louisiana State. Valley. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, oh we're at the center. And, and I teach a course in communications. And the title of my course is The Use of Emotion in Major Political and Social Movements. The climate movement is the only major movement that I know that does not have a song, it does not have a symbol, it does not have a bumper sticker, it eschews art. Why don't we, why don't we have, a, why can't I put a bumper sticker on my pickup truck that says, I am terrified about this and communicate with other people? Why don't we, we have a meeting, we sing a song? I mean, nefarious purposes have songs. <laughs> Every Climate refuses, the climate communications refuses to engage emotion. And I think, honestly, I, th I, th I think that's a huge hope and, and what we're doing, we're just trying to appeal to reason when, in fact, you got to have emotion combined with reason. And don't you think we need a song? Don't we need a bumper sticker? Don't we need a flag? Don't we need something? Um, well, there's actually That's lots the of them. Um, <laughs> but they're, you know, they go, each organization has one. I don't, you know, I think time is so much of the essence there is such urgency that I don't think anybody has really thought much about it. I mean, the wonderful artist, the street artist, Shepard Ferry, has done posters for us. Um, and then and we're using those. I mean, it's a little hard when we can't go out in person and paste them on walls and windows. And But we're going to be doing that as soon as we can, you know, as soon as we're safe to go outside. But, you know, I agree with you. I mean, the, the problem is, James, that the emotion connected to the climate crisis is fear. And the scientists say, you know, we if you scare people to death, which we could do, it's that terrifying. It'll it'll petrify them. It'll 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 keep them from moving. You know, you go numb after a while. So the the I guess the joy is imagining what ha will happen when the Thrive Agenda under President Biden becomes a reality, because. For the first time in so many decades, certainly since Reagan in the 80s, we will have a society where people are paid decent wages, where they don't live in constant anxiety, where women and men can go to work by the tens of millions because there's good child care and elder care. Um, we're remaking our country so that it can withstand the extreme weather events that are coming on, where oil workers, instead of oil pipelines, are putting in pipelines to bring clean water to Detroit and to Louisiana. We clean up Cancer Alley. We save all those parishes in southern Louisiana from the terrible cloud of toxic pollution that floats in the water and in the air over southern Louisiana, where all those refineries are joy about the future that we're fighting for. That's that's one thing that I think we need to do a better job. Give something, give people the vision of what we're fighting for. Yeah, Robert. Jane, let me ask you a question about your dad, Henry Fonda. Our, our good mutual friend, George Stevens, says he's one of the greatest, greatest actors of all times. You had a complicated relationship growing up, but his last film, The Marvelous On Golden Pond With You, was said to parallel that story, including the great love. Tell us about Henry Fonda, your relationship in that movie. 
um, well, it was one of the great joys of my life to be able to co-produce a movie that that co-starred my father and that brought him an Oscar. Um, to be able to work with him in a role that so paralleled our personal relationship. Um, but, you know, he was who he was when I, I, I was having a lot of trouble with the scene where I say to him, I want to be your friend, where I walk out on the water and touch his arm. Um, we don't have time for me to go into the whole story, but, you know, it was a, it was a difficult scene. And I asked him if I could have dinner with him that night. And, and he said, yeah. So I went over there and the first thing I said to him, I told him the problems that I had had with the scene. And I said, does that ever happen to you, dad? No, <laughs> no, no, he just didn't know how to, I don't know. You know, I, I love him so much. He is with me all the time. And, and, you know, if Prozac had existed, then our lives would have been so different. You know, he suffered, first of all, it, you know, Midwest, Omaha, Nebraska, at that particular time, he was a product of his generation and his geography and, um, and undiagnosed depression. But, um, you know, when, when you get older, you spend a lot of time thinking about your relationships and how you could have done things differently. And, and I just love thinking about him and, and, and thinking about all the things that he gave me, you know, um, I had a, I, when I was writing my, my memoirs, I, I just happened to be in the first part where I was writing about my father. I got a call from Martin Luther King's daughter, Yolanda. I don't remember why she called, but I said to her, Yolanda, when you were a little girl, did your father bounce you on his knee and kind of talk to you about life and how to be and about values? And she said, no, he never did. I said, yeah, my dad didn't either. But you know what? You had his sermons and I had my father's movies, Grapes of Wrath, Twelve Angry Men, The Wrong Man, Oxbow Incident. These are the movies that taught me values, and I will be forever grateful to him. Okay, so you asked me a personal question. So, James, I, I've always wanted to ask you this question. Are you and Mary still married? <laughs> uh, I think we are, as of five minutes yeah. ago, 15 okay. minutes away. How do you, how do you, you never know. A long-term marriage I, when you have such different politics. I don't understand. You know, you know, it's like any, it's like anything else. It, sometimes it goes better than other times. But we've been together since January the eighth of nineteen ninety-one. We've been married since Thanksgiving in nineteen ninety-three. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I would describe myself as a happy married person, and my youngest daughter's here with us and so it's it, it's worked out in spite of a a lot of difficulty but you know a lot of people are married and they have one of their spouses has you know gambling problems or has substance addiction yeah i've been there or, or depression or there's a there's any number of things that people have to overcome and political differences is probably not in the top five wow but, see i wouldn't be yeah, able you know to and a lot of people, you know, and you know, a lot of people couldn't be married to me, and a lot of people couldn't be married to Mary, and uh, that's okay too. Uh, you know, it it, well, it, it sort well, of happens, but yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if it's how much of an achievement. It's it. a heck of an achievement. It, it, I, I want to go back. I, can I just? Well, can I just tell Jane, I want to tell Jane one story about her dad, and then quickly go to her. We I met All your dad right. only one time. Ab Mikva took us to the opening of First Monday in October, a play he did in Washington. And Judy and I were there. Judy was covering the White wow. House. I had covered prime ministers, presidents, and talked. And we all, you know, you, you're supposed to act like you're blasé. The next morning, both of us got up and called our mothers to say, guess who we had dinner with last night? And they were impressed. <laughs> anyway, James, I interrupted you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I want to go back because I'm, I'm really, but you and I shared a sort of climate thing, maybe from a little bit different perspective. And I want to recommend a book to you. And it's called Bury the Chain. It's by a man named Adam Hoshio. He's a delightful academic at Berkeley. And it's a book on the British anti-slave trade movement. But what's really compelling about it is the way that they used emotion. You know, Amazing Grace is probably the most famous and best song in the English language. 
that came out of the British anti-slave trade movement. They used water for China. They used graphics. They really used emotion. And I, and I, I teach that to my young people, that if you want to be a communicator, you have to, emotion and passion has to be central to your form of communications. Uh And you're a very, you know, very big part of climate. You're very passionate about it. You're very effective. And I think, you know, and the problem is we maybe have too many. We need a song. I live in South Louisiana. We're a very mournful place. We're losing land, a football field, I don't know, every three days or something. And we're the best at writing, you know, good emotional songs. And we have uh-huh. nothing. We have nothing. We have no emotion. So I, I want to make this pitch, and you will love this book. You will love this story, and you will love how it started with a bunch of, with a bunch of Quakers, and how they really came and used emotion to bring about which was the fault was the, actually the fault of the entire slave business, it, not just the business slave trade. Bury the chain. Bury the chain. Adam Hashiel. I, I couldn't recommend any book higher to any communicator. Alan Hashiel wrote a great book. That's his wife. Strangers in their own land. Yeah. About Arlie, that's his wife. I know. Yeah. I know. And I had her at my class yeah, at Tulane. Yeah, I know. And that was a great Yes, book. they're very, they're, they're older couple. They live in Berkeley. They're just totally delightful people. And her husband, Adam, wrote this book, and I, I, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Thank you. I will definitely, I will definitely read it. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with the, um, the Yale Project on Climate Change Communication? I am. I spoke, I spoke to a bunch of people at Yale on it. And I, I, yeah, because uh, I follow their lead when they say, you know, this is how we need to be talking about climate. And uh, this is how Americans feel about it. They do the best research on climate, including how to communicate the messages. Well, I, I'll look deep into it, but I, I did a, like a seminar. Uh, actually, was conducted. One of the people in it, and I, God, I can't think of her name, but uh, she, she, no, she. Anthony yeah. Lestale, anyway, it, it it was a, a delightful thing, but I, I still felt the communications part of, and I had Bill McKibben at my I, class. I, 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 I think we need a song. All right. Okay. That's okay. that's Jane Fonda's mandate is to find a song, and then when you <laughs> and then we're going <laughs> to ask her when she finds a song to come back and sing it for us. Uh, so we can do a tuper here. Absolutely. Jane, Jane well, maybe I'll get Jackson. I got one final question. I, I want to close with a story. Wait a my, my, okay. Go, go, go ahead, James, then I'll close. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I think it was your brother that played in, in Easy Rider. All right. That remember where he was, I don't know, assassinated in, in Louisiana? That spot yeah. was a half a mile from where two of my sisters were born in a place called wow. Morganza, Louisiana, which is actually where the spillway is. Wow. But I just said, you know what? If you if you go deep enough, you find a connection between anything. And so that's my connection with your family. Is. Wow. Between my brother and you. <laughs> and Jane, tell us, you've been incredibly generous with your time. Tell us, for, what's, what's ahead for Jane Fonda? You've written how happy you are, content you are right now. You have Frankie and Grace. Uh, you're very involved. Well, activism so is the best antidote. You're going to say activism active. is the best antidote to despair. Good. Of course. Yeah. In fact, as soon as I finish doing my creative work, I'm going to come to Louisiana and hold rallies there. I, I would love, we would love to have and, you. And uh, maybe I'll come and come by. And I'll and have, have a song. Washington because we'll, you've been we'll really good here song. too. Yeah. But we are real, really, yeah. we're, we're getting hammered. I mean, we're getting slaughtered. I mean, five storms in one year. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, the, the, yeah. you know, the, the, there's too much water coming our way. And it, it's it's tragic. Uh, it, it, it mm-hmm. is very tragic. And if you can come, anybody can come and draw attention to this. It'd be great. We're losing land That's left and right. Nobody better at well, that. Than thank you. Where do you listen? Let me ask for advice, James. Where is the best place to hold a rally that will call attention to the hot spots? You know, probably I would say in in a metropolitan area. But if we could go, there's a thousand places we could go and show 
the real effect that climate's having on real lives. I mean, we're having to move people out. Yeah. The subsidence and sea level rise is just killing us. It, well, it's just, you, you can't, oh, yes. It, 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 but, we, but it would not be very difficult at all to find any number of, of, of places that would illustrate this. And, and let me assure you, too, we would have plenty of jerks coming out of the woodwork, you know, drawing attention to us, which would oh, be yeah. great. It would be great. Yeah, I'm used yeah, to. I am too. Well, you live amongst a lot of them. You have been incredibly generous with your time, and I would just add yeah. <clears throat> to George Stevens' comment: there are two Fondas who are among the greatest actors of all times. Jane Fonda, this has really been a thrill for us. I can't tell you how much we've enjoyed it. Be safe, and I hope we'll both see you soon. I hope so too, Al. Right. Thank you very much, Al. Thank you. It was a huge honor. Thank you. Hey, James, at any age, something we think about, and no matter your goals, protein is critical. And it's especially important to get the protein powder that's right for your health, vision, and with Gainful Protein, that's exactly what you get. Gainful personalizes your protein for you based on your body type, diet, fitness habits, and goals after a short, fun online quiz. Gainful even comes with a one-on-one -on -one access to your own registered dietitian to get where you want to be. It's an incredible bonus, and it gives you the tools to make the most of Gainful. Know what the protein does. Yeah, you know, Al, I, I, uh, this August the 1st will be 40 years uh, since I took up jogging or running or, or whatever you call it, and I've probably done it on average of 350 days a year. And, and let me tell you, when you're doing that in South Louisiana, as I've done, you know, hundreds of thousands of times, you're going to lose a, a lot of stuff in your body and, and this is a a very convenient good tasting way to replenish a lot of that and i'm, I'm being a little bit extreme and, and that's being a run in july in south louisiana but that applies to anything and, and the and the south louisiana heater you could try it in the washington winter probably too james right right either way you're gonna you're gonna deplete things you just i just a little more of an extreme athlete than, than most people because of the way I live in the climate. But I, I'm very excited about this product. I really am. Yeah, me and, too. Here, here's my favorite part, James. Gainful protein is never repetitive, and it tastes so good, as you just noted, thanks to their single-serving flavor boost to add to your gainful protein. They include rich chocolate, cookies and cream, Madagascar vanilla, Chocolate peanut butter, okay, that's me. Uh, <laughs> always a favorite, strawberry cream and cafe mocha. You can customize each shake, or you can add it. It's unflavored protein straight to your smoothies and recipes. And also, with a Gainful subscription, you receive monthly shipments straight to your door and with the ability to easily update your order, formula, and flavors. Your fitness and nutrition journey is one of a kind, so the products you use should be also. With personalized nutrition and support, Gainful makes sure you're making progress towards your health and fitness goals every day. Now, right now, James, I feel like Ed McMahon, but it's true. Right now, we have a special offer for our listeners. Get $15 off your first month of personalized protein powder when you go to Gainful.com slash War Room. That's Gainful.com slash War Room. It's all one word. Trust me, you're going to love having personalized protein powder from Gainful. It's a game changer. And again, that's Gainful.com slash Warroom to get $15 off your first month or so, or go to the link in our show notes. Well, great. You can do some good. You can save some dough. All right. Way to go. Hey, James. Again, a whole bunch of great questions from around the country and even the globe. And the first one is comes from Jen. And Jen, I'm going to give you a pass this week because you didn't tell us where you're from, but it's a good question. So I'm going to read it. But next time, tell us where you're from. She really liked Doug Jones. She thought he was fantastic, edifying, and interesting. Uh, and I think between the lines, she's waiting for one of us to you know drop out one week so Doug can come back. But she just says how great he was. <laughs> she also has a question, uh, and that is, there are a lot of strong women in the Democratic Party that we don't talk about. And she mentions Alyssa Slotkin, Mikey Sherrill, Katie Porter, Porter. How do we elevate them? Well, uh, first of all, we, we talk about uh, well, thank you, and, and I agree with you on, on Senator Jones. Actually, strong women are pretty front and center in the Democratic Party. I mean, we do talk about Nancy Pelosi. I'm sorry, people talk about AOC and Maxine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and uh, Jane Fonda mentioned Dev Howland, who my daughter introduced at a thing at my house when I wasn't there. So actually, Dev Howland has been to my house in New Orleans, which I'm proud to say. Uh, 
but what we found in what about this uh, Stacy from the Virgin Islands? Stacy Plaskett, oh, who oh I will God. tell you has been has been to our house, courtesy of my wife. Right. Uh, and she's as awesome in person as she was during those years. She is a she's a real star. Oh God! I mean, I, so I, I I understand, but it, you know, I think that you know we we nominated a, a woman for, for a presidential candidate in 2016. I had to mention that, but, but, I, but you know, got one as vice uh, president. So got one as vice president. So I I I, I understand, but I, I think the party is doing. You, I don't, you don't want to say that anything is like good in, in, in this time, but I think we're doing a, a relatively good job of putting a lot of really talented women front and center in the yeah. Democratic Party. I yeah, really do. I agree, and there are a lot. There are an awful lot. Right. <clears throat> and the next one is from Derek in Edmonton, Alberta. This is interesting. Ooh, but it's cold air. It Ooh. is, man, I'll tell you. But it's, you know, pretty cold here, too. But but this mm -hmm. is coming from Canada's interest. He said, he's heard a lot of talk about the importance of the $15 minimum wage. What I haven't heard so much is why it's so important to a real relatable way for families. First of all, economists for years, even a lot of liberal economists, said the minimum wage costs jobs. And then uh, a great economist uh, named Alan Kruger, who was chairman later, of Obama's Council of Economic Advisors did a really in-depth study that said, no, that ain't so. The trade-off sometimes is favorable. Same reason Henry Ford paid his auto workers a lot more so they could afford to buy a Model T. Uh, and I think right now at $15 an hour, James, if you work 35 hours a week, you're going to take home 26 grand a year. There ain't very many places, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have two or three kids, you can live on that. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen now, but they ought to at least take a step. Get it up to 11 in a year or two and the idea of going to 15 in three or four. Not enough, but they ought to be done. And by the way, I think even an even better anti-poverty program is the earned income tax credit. Yeah, it, look, on, on a, the minimum wage, the one thing that we, that, that we don't realize is, is there are a lot of people who make more than minimum wage who pay us based on a minimum wage. Right. Right. So, so just take a, a, a firm that I particular a company that it has, I think is a good company, is Costco. They, maybe the minimum wage is 10, whatever it is, 10, 25 an hour. Well, they pay their people 13.50. So if you wait, if you raise it to $15 an hour, then they might pay their people 17.50, right? It's not just the people that get the minimum wage. It, it, it also raises, it, 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 the CBO says you, you might be or you might cost some jobs, but it will definitely raise lift more people out of poverty. And I think that's the important thing is, is that what we're trying to do as a society is get as many people above the poverty line that we possibly can. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that that's one of the things that the minimum wage is, is very effective at. And I think the research will bear it out. You're right. Alan Kruger was a, a, a great economist. He was a great guy. He really was. Uh, he died, you know, tragically at yeah. too young an age. But no, he, he, he was in that study, which I think was like 30, 40 years ago, is still a seminal study. James, this next question comes from Joseph in New Orleans. I don't think it's intended for me, so I'm going to read it. With thoughts about the spontaneous development of house floats that we have seen in New Orleans— occur to you. For me, these actions by the people in the community finally made me understand you can't kill the culture of New Orleans. You think that was maybe intended for you? Yeah, that is the one thing, and Joe, I'll say, what, what, what people in New Orleans, what I would say to someone like you or whatever, said, you know, you live in, in, in Washington, in Northwest Washington, or you live in in Los Angeles, and you have a great quality of life. I mean, you got world-class museums, particularly in Los Angeles. You got climate in Washington. You have Rock Creek Park. You got airports. In, in the quality of life in Washington, I'm, I'm in metropolitan Washington right now, is quite good. In New Orleans, we never speak of our quality of life. We only speak of our way of life. And I always say, I would not for give up one inch of my way of life, I don't. I wouldn't take 100 yards on quality of life because we have humidity, we have potholes, we have poverty, we have hurricanes, we have crime, but God damn it, we lead a good life. 
And Mardi Gras and people are just not, I love Mardi Gras in ways that no one can understand because it's just a futile and stupid cultural gesture. And it, it is just the way that we just like give a finger to the rest of the world. And the fact, and they're not going to let it die. The Mardi Gras, the, the COVID can kill a lot of shit. It, it, the one thing it's not going to kill, it, it can kill big box retailers. It can kill restaurants. It can kill hotel changes. There's no way that COVID could ever kill fucking Mardi Gras. I promise you that. It, that will be the cockroach that will survive <laughs> when everything else is gone and the whole planet has been ravaged by this pandemic of, of unimaginable thing, somebody will come up with a carnival costume. It'll be the last thing to go. I'll just say to that, amen, Joseph. Um, <laughs> here, here, Rebecca and Ann Arbor, I like this. She says, one day without advance notice, should Nancy Pelosi hand out citizenship tests that immigrants must pass to every member of the House and then post their grades? You know, I, Rebecca, I want to make one amendment. I, I, I really kind of like the idea. I want the Senate to do it, too. And then I want us to go and everyone to see what grade Tommy Tuberville, the new senator from Alabama, gets. I wish they would get, what's that thing they give the NFL play, the Wonderlick test? Or yeah, yeah, like that. yeah. And he was like, I had football coach. I love for Tommy to get the Wonderlick. He, he's so, I, let, let's say, I, I don't want to say because I don't know what somebody can do. How stupid he is, I, 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 he says the, the stupidest things that you can imagine. If saying stupid things makes you stupid, he is really one stupid man because he says the stupidest things that you can imagine. You think he could beat, uh, he could beat uh, Ron Johnson in a stupid contest? Yeah, it, it, and the reason is, is that I think Ron Johnson is just governed by just being greedy and ambitious and just says stupid things because it feeds his ambition and it feeds whatever he thinks he is. Yep. I think Tommy Duffville might be just genuinely fucking dumb. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I, th I think there might be the underlying convention. The man's just not, he's just not very smart, but that's just I'm, I'm, my, my, my view from afar. Maybe there are uh, uh, compelling reasons for his stupidity. <laughs> but I don't think so. I think I think I think it's just genuine. I think like Joe Biden. I think I think Tommy Tuberville is a Joe Biden is a genuinely empathetic man. I think Tommy Tuberville is a genuinely stupid man. I well, really do. James, I was sick that Doug Jones lost that race because he is such a valuable public yeah. citizen. Uh, and the only consolation is that Tommy's going to give us some laughs uh, in the next yeah, couple well, of years. You take, um, you, you take what you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. Um, here's one from uh, Jack from Antwerp from Belgium, who said oh, wow. oh. Trump, Tillerson, and Pompeo made a mockery of the State Department. How's Biden going to reform it, and what steps should he take to reset America's relationship with Europe? And James, well, I got to tell you though, go I mean, back I, to you. I, I, I was impressed. Let me just—I say, I was impressed by Belgium, but then at the very end, he says, "Roll, damn tide, roll." So that worries me a little bit. <laughs> So I, my great-grandmother, Octavia Duhon, uh, was be be Belgian. Her dad went over to a commercial quality colony like in Guatemala, El Salvador, and they ended up in New Orleans. So I, I, my, my friend from Antwerp, I, I definitely have uh, Belgian origins, the, origins, the, the French-Belgian. But uh, as I said, my, my great-grandmother was Octavia Duhon. And I wanted to call my oldest daughter Octavia and Ann Devereaux here, remember the great Washington Post yeah, reporter, sure says, if you do that, James, I'll kill you. you. <laughs> <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't like the name Octavia. But anyway, that, that's my story about that. So Thank what about you, the State Department, Al? You covered that for a long time. Yeah, I, I, I look, uh, they did. Uh, and they totally debased the foreign. The Foreign Service is not a bunch of striped pants uh, idealists. They're, they're, they're people who've worked in embassies, who worked under threat, who understand the world. Some of the greatest people I've ever known have come out of that Foreign Service. And first of all, they have to restore the respect uh, and the dignity of that. I, I have every reason to believe, I'm certain as a matter of fact, that Tony Blinken will do that. And James, like anything that has been really not demolished, but just devastated over the last four years, it ain't going to happen overnight. 
But I think I, I think they're going to do it. And, uh, you know, Jack, we're going to part of that is to reset, as you say, America's relationships with Europe. They're important allies. We can disagree with them sometime, but uh, you can't go it alone. So um, no, and if you don't think that they're smart, try to take their exam. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. You don't think, you know, if you think they're just a bunch of bureaucratic deep state ne'er do wells, okay, take the exam. You don't think Tommy Tuberville would pass that exam? Tommy Tuberville couldn't pass gas. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here's a final one that we both can take up because I think it's short and easy. What was the reason the former. President Trump chose to put all his eggs in the Operation Warp Speed basket and not into fighting the pandemic. I'll give you my simple answer because he didn't give a shit about anything but himself. uh, And that's why he was in denial and he lied. And the only reason they put money into Warp Speed was because he thought he could get some kind of big announcement before the election. I think when the history is written, this is I think, so I'm going to be careful. This is just my opinion. I'm not saying it happened, but I think when they find out somebody, like anything else that Trump ever did, either he or somebody close to him made money off of warp speed because yep. that's the only thing that motivates him. Yep, yep, yep. And, you know, history will see if I'm right or wrong, but that, that's my suspicion, mm-hmm. that he or Jared or somebody around at operation got a cut of this thing. Because he doesn't do anything without his cut. No, that's for sure. I should have said that question came from Nan from Northern California. And Nan, I'm glad you told us you're from Northern California, but next time tell us where in Northern California. And Jen, you better write again and tell us where you're from. Uh, Eureka, that is my ultimate Northern California town. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, it, you know, it is beautiful up there. It really is. Ooh, man. I'll tell you that. Okay, yeah. guys, keep those cards and letters coming. Today, we're welcoming back one of our favorite sponsors, IP Vanish. Now, James, IP Vanish is a virtual private network, a VPN for short. A VPN is a super important tool that helps you safely browse the internet. You can use a VPN on your computers, tablets, phones, even things like your Fire Stick when you're streaming media. When you use a VPN, all your data is encrypted. What you're reading, what you're searching, what you're watching, whatever it is you're doing. IP Vanish is just $3.49 a month, just $3.49 a month or $27.99 a year. You can help protect your online privacy and security. Here's everything you get with IP Vanish. Anonymous IP addresses, this means your personal IP address can't be tracked by anyone on the web. Circumvent any online censorship. IP Vanish has more than 1,500 servers in 70 plus locations. And get protection when using public Wi-Fi. Remember, with IP Vanish, all your data is encrypted, so no one can snoop on what you're doing, James. Yeah, I agree. It, it, look, let's put, face it. There are not many James Cardinals in this world. So I'm a person that when I do searches, I, I would be glad to share them publicly with anybody. And if anybody believes that, they're really stupid, and I don't think anybody does. But if you're like me and you, you have a eclectic taste in, in, in websites that you search, you search and, and like me, you like to travel a little bit, and you'd like to keep some things to yourself in your old age, this is one hell of a product. It's a hell of a product. You shaft your little picadillos in life, this might be a good idea. Yeah, you go to ipvanish.com slash warroom. That's all one word to claim your 65% savings. They have plans starting, as I said, at $3.49 a month or $27.99 a year. This is the time to sign up. With our discount and their current promotional offerings, you can get a VPN for 65% off their usual offering. IPVanish is the best of the best, even rated 4.7 out of 5 on Trustpilot, and that's with more than 6,000 reviews. Show these guys some love. Remember, it's IPVanish.com slash to get the deal and start protecting yourself online or look for the link in our show notes. Yeah, that's a good point. 6,000 reviews is a lot. Sometimes you get these things and, you know, 98% like, and it's, you know, right. 20 people. I mean, this this has the validity of a pretty pretty substantial number of people saying it's a hell of a product, which makes me feel really good about it. James, my outrage, I almost feel guilty. It's about... You know, a little bit like taking candy from a baby, but little Lindsey Graham, or as Chris Buckley calls him, Squiggly Biscuit, you know, he's at it again. You know, first post-impeachment, he said, this is still Donald Trump's party. Trump trashes Mitch. He said, I like rich 
uh, Mitch too. You know, I you know I like them both. You know, he doesn't before either take it to the bank. They should remember that Lindsey was John McCain's wingman uh, until the Arizona icon incurred the wrath of Donald Trump. So don't don't count on on, on little Lindsey. But the thing that really got me was as he searches for a new commander. Uh, Squiggly Biscuit said, if the GOP takes back the House and next Congress, we might impeach Kamala Harris. And unfortunately, as a quote machine, he'll say anything. He's irresistible for cable news and Sunday talk shows. I am through with Squiggly James. I'll stick with Kate McKinnon. Yeah, I so as you know, for the last three weeks, I've, I've been like hard on the New York Times, I think just probably so. I, I want to be kind to the New York Times, and for my outrage, I want to read directly from a piece in the New York Times by a journalist by the name of Dan Barry. All right? Yep. And I'm I'm reading directly. The Texas doctor had six hours. Now that a vial of COVID-19 vaccine had been opened on this late December night, he had to find 10 eligible people for its remaining doses before the precious medicine expired in six hours. Scrambling, the doctor made house calls and directed people to his home outside Houston. Some were acquaintances, other strangers, a bedbound non octogenarian, a woman in her 80s with dementia, a mother with a child who uses a ventilator. After midnight, with just minutes before the vaccine became unusable, the doctor, Hassan Bokal, gave the last dose to his wife, who has pulmonary disease that leaves a short of breath. For his actions, Dr. Gokal, a G-O-K-A-L, I'm sorry if I mispronounced it, but I apologize, Doc, was fired from his government job and in charge of stealing 10 vaccine doses worth a total of $135, a shunworthy misdemeanor that sent his name and mugshot rocketing around the globe. What? I, I, I assume that this story was edited was checked out. I don't know, Mr. Barry. I'm sure he's a reputable man. What the hell is this? What? Hey, Dr. Goko, 48, an immigrant from Pakistan, is a boy earned a medical degree from SUNY Upstate Medical University in Syracuse. His volunteer work included rebuilding homes and providing medical care after Hurricane Harvey in 2017. What what are we doing? What who, what, who what job was he fired decisions? from, James? Does it say he was a head of a hospital in in metropolitan Houston? Well, let's you know we'll get the name of that hospital. It's not this week, next week, and we'll ask everyone to write that hospital and 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 ask what the hell this is. And I mean it, it it's it's I'm yeah. reading right out of the story in the times. And I mean, if, if there's a answer to this story that I'm unaware of, but I haven't seen a retraction, a clarification or anything, what is wrong with people? I mean, there's got to be something more here than we know, because if what we know is what the fact is, he was the, I mean, if you go, the deeper you go into it, They'll give you another paragraph. Fortunately, he said the Harris County Public Health Department recruited him in April to become the medical director for its COVID response team. The job paid less, but he was eager to protect his wife by limiting his exposure to the coronavirus in emergency rooms. There's got to be something more to this story. It just can't be what it is. Let's check it and let's find out, you know, it was Harris County, what hospital it was, what official did it, who did it. And let's not drop, uh, or let's not let this one drop. All right. Let's hit this one. All right. And and I agree uh, with you. It it sounds sounds awful. Dan Uh, Barry published February 10th, updated February 12th. Okay. We got it. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carvel and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. And remember to check out the links to our sponsors in the show notes. We really thank you for supporting them. It's what makes this podcast happen. So to keep up with us every week, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room 2021 planning.